And so what you want is you want to have a culture of ownership. You want people to take an internal drive toward accomplishing their goals or OKRs, if you will, not just an external. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Gene Hammett is a leading expert on high-growth company culture and leadership. He has decades of experience with more than $40 million in revenue for the companies he has led and owned. Gene has interviewed more than 530 CEOs of high-growth companies to understand the core principles of fast growth. He consults companies to activate new growth and reduce the high cost of ineffective leadership. After 15 years of being a serial entrepreneur, Gene has built teams and taken many companies to two times and three times growth. He has worked with more than two dozen companies on the Inc. 5000 list. Recently, he realized the biggest driver to fast growth was the ability for companies to create a growth culture and leadership that inspires ownership. In this episode, we examine what leaders of fast growth companies have in common and what leaders should anchor to during these challenging times. We discuss what's more important in business, the employees or the customers. And in Gene's worldview, accountability is too low a bar. Listen in to hear what he believes we need to strive for instead. Let's jump in. This is really cool. I'm so excited to have you on the show, Gene. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on Dreams with Deadlines. And I love the title. <laughs> when I thought about it, I thought it was I thought it was cool. The idea is that goals are dreams with deadlines and that's what OKRs are all about, which I think anybody who knows objectives and key results could hopefully attest to. When I was reading about your bio, and the last time we spoke, I was like, holy smokes, this guy has done so much. You have this podcast, Growth Think Tank, where you've interviewed over 500 plus founders and CEOs for fast growth companies. Like, What got you started with your podcast? What was the genesis of that idea? I loved podcasting or loved to listen to podcasts. And I would go to the gym, I would listen to them in my car, and I literally abandoned radio because I was able to absorb these great conversations and insights and wisdom in no extra time, right? Because mm -hmm. I could do it when I was driving or when I was at a gym and running or working out with weights. And so a little over six years ago, it really changed the way I engage with information. And I wanted to have a podcast and I went to a podcast conference called New Media Expo. I can't remember what year it was. It was more than six years ago. And uh, I talked about two different ideas. I wanted to have it. And I ended up settling on the name Leaders in the Trenches because I wanted to interview frontline leaders that were growing their companies. And I ended up changing it to Grow Think Tank last year because I've changed the direction a little bit. It's still in the trenches, but I wanted to go after the founders and CEOs of fast growth companies. So I changed it. So I'm imagining that since you've interviewed so many people, you've probably been able to see patterns or get some really crisp key learnings from all of these leaders. What do you think is the DNA of these founders and CEOs of these fast growth companies, specifically the leadership? Right. You can definitely look at the patterns. One of them is they really learn to trust themselves. Mm -hmm. 
and, and it's a process. Like it's not something that you have, you know, flat out trust for yourself all the time because we've all lied to ourselves. We've all said we were going to exercise daily and probably didn't, or we're going to spend time with our family and probably didn't. We were going to eat right and probably didn't. We were going to go in earlier, but even in work, they really have learned to trust themselves. I had a conversation with a leader today where he had to make the decision to hire someone and it's a difficult time right now. So we're recording this, you know, we're, we're not even a month into this quarantine right. issues going on. And he's like, should I hire someone? Mm. Is now the right time? And we had the conversation and as being his coach, I couldn't say yes or no. I just said, it sounds like you don't trust yourself. What's going on? And we've had a really deep conversation about what trust was and what trust meant in this situation and where he could create the space. But one of the core issues that you asked about, the patterns behind fast growth leaders, is they really do trust themselves. We're in the midst of a very interesting moment in history where the entire world is, for the most part, at home, right? And businesses are getting shaken. Like the foundations of business are being shaken. And good businesses, as a result of decisions that governments are making, are struggling and may not make it out of this. As you're thinking through coaching or whatever material you're creating for all the different publications that you write for, and even for your own podcast, what are some of those points of wisdom that you're anchoring to as you're helping others navigate this challenging environment? I'll start off with saying, I don't know what's going to happen. We're, I think our family's keeping the day records. I think we're on like day 25 of pretty much lockdown. We go get food. We're not, we don't have to get hall passes. Some of my employees actually have to only can go shopping during certain days of the week for certain oh, wow. And they're in international countries. And so they have different modes of shelter in place. But the real thing I'm trying to keep myself centered on is this moment is difficult for some. It's an opportunity for some. And I think if you believe it's going to be difficult, that's all you will see. Mm. You will see the negative things, the lack of cash flow, the lack of deals not closing on targets. You can, if you wanted to focus on the negative right now, you totally could. I've been training myself for years. So this, not this week, not last week, but for years on how do I look at the positive? And it has served me very well. And inside this, I basically see this as an opportunity. It will kill some businesses. It may kill some industries. Wow. They may not survive this because we will probably do business differently. I think we'll get back to flying on planes. I think we'll get back to going to events and things like that. But there will be some industries that just won't survive this because of the way it's structured. But if you focus on the opportunity that's in front of you and you look for it and you look for your team, I interviewed someone the other day that's kind of a really good example of this. Their business from the Inc. 5000, had grown so fast over the last three years. They did social media booths at events like weddings and corporate events. And you go in and they have the technology. You basically rent the booth and they're capturing email lists and things like that. They completely had to pivot their business. Oh, wow. So in the space of less than two weeks, they were able to come back and say, all of the people we've been serving, what do they have in common? How can we serve them? And I thought they came up with a really good idea which was to create local gift boxes to support local companies. So if you wanted to give a gift box to someone for appreciation, could be employees that were stuck at home, could be customers that you want to keep customers and you wanted to send them something, they had curated local companies that they could get inventory for and creating these small little gift boxes and subscription-based and you would be able to 
get a sampling from local businesses maybe you've never heard of. I thought that's a brilliant idea. Wow, they're really innovating. (laughs) Complete innovation because they said, this is an opportunity for us to leverage what we have, what we've built. And they, because they had built the systems and they had people that were thinking smart and, and really helping being a part of the process, they were able to turn this around very quickly. And they had orders going out. I think their first three days, they had over 300 orders. How did they shift so quickly, right? Because I think that's a pattern that I have heard from talking to founders and CEOs and different entrepreneurs is the ability to see an opportunity and then capitalize on that opportunity as quickly as possible. Like you mentioned, we could focus on the negatives, but if we can focus on the opportunity and we could pivot, then we have a chance. We can adapt. Like how, how are they able to do it so quickly, especially in that example? I think it comes down to mindset. So we talked about some of the patterns that we, that I've seen from all these interviews. They have a very adaptable mindset. They are willing to see change as opportunity, not as a negative. They're willing to see this, you know, what's going on as something that they can leverage forward. This particular conversation, I mean, it wasn't one of my clients. It was just someone I interviewed and it was just a great conversation of how do we see something in front of us and get ahead of it? They're proactive. They didn't wait for cash flows to completely drop to zero. Now they were having cancellations, but we all had, you know, probably some impact. Many businesses did in March. We'll probably have more in April. But the way that they really were able to do this was they had a mindset that we're not tied to the current business that we're in. We're here to serve people. This reminds me of what business are you really in? Mm. There's a whole question of what, what business are you really in? Blockbuster who, as we all know, did not make it. <laughs> they did not follow through with the change of times. We had, it was a huge, it, I don't, we're very different from today because today happens so quickly. But the, as the internet started to speed up, streaming in the home became possible. And Netflix became, at one point in time, Blockbuster could have bought Netflix many times over. But they did not see them as competition because they're like, they're not in the same business as us. Mm. And... What Netflix saw was we're in the entertainment business. Blockbusters thought to themselves, we're in the CDs and DVDs and cassette tapes when we first started doing that. They're in that business. The one that saw entertainment was able to pivot very differently and be able to rise above the market whenever they needed to. And so it goes back to mindset. What business are you in? Yeah, I mean, kind of to tailor onto that, this this idea of, what business are you in? I want to ask you that magic question that you ask in every interview because I feel like it, it dovetails nicely. With fast growth companies, in this example, like let's say Netflix, right? But you've, you're a business leader currently. You've had successful business before. We've discussed that. What's more important then to you? What's your answer to the question? What's more important to you in business? Is it the employees or the customers? It's employees. I will give you an example behind that. When this started coming to be a reality, like four weeks ago, if you said that everyone in the world would be almost quarantined, most people would have thought you were crazy. The only a few visionaries would have said, yeah, that's going to be the best thing for us. Maybe if you were in a country that had already been impacted by this, like China, you might have seen that or said that. But for the most part, we never would have said that. So when I knew we were going into this, I needed my team around me and I wanted them to feel safe. Mm. So the one thing I did was I had conversations with each one of them. So I have a small team. I have five people on my team. I took some of them that really deserved a bonus. And I said, I want to let you know how important you are to me. You get a bonus. Why? What cause? 
And it wasn't a huge bonus, but I just said, look, I don't know what's going to happen in the next two or three weeks. It's likely going to be difficult for all of us. I'm going to ask more of you because we need to make sure that we don't have, want to have a disruption. So I want to get even more ahead of our planning than we do. I need you. There's going to be some new projects that we're going to kick off. There's going to be some uncertainty. I want to make sure you feel taken care of. Now, for some, that was just a conversation about how much I value you. For some, it was about some of the skills that I want you to, to be working on during this period so that you come out of this even more prepared. And then for some, it was you actually got money. And so I really do believe that the answer to that very difficult question of, as a leader, what's more important, your customers or employees, that if you treat your employees really well, they will help you navigate through this. Now, I'm not saying that some companies won't let go of their employees. It's the right thing to do. If the company is going to survive, you may have to let go of something. But if you probably are honest with yourself, it's probably people that shouldn't have been held on. Maybe they're held on because of your fear. A lot of my companies are growing really fast. It was, it's a really competitive market. Finding new talent is hard. And so they're hesitant to let people go. They give them a lot more space, which is great. But some people have not been developing and contributing to the team the way they could be. So you may have to let go of people, but I really do believe the right answer to that is put your employees first so that your employees and as a company, you can put the customers first. So there, it's not that customers are not important. There's an order to it. Yes. Mm, I see. And if the leader puts customers first, it makes sense to many people. In fact, big corporations have been driven by this. I've been told I was wrong before by the CEOs of Fortune 50 companies because wow. I have personal relationships with them. And I would, they'd say, what, what are you excited about? And I'd share my study and they'd say, you're absolutely wrong. Here's why you're wrong. The example they gave in one case was, United Airlines, about three years ago, had a situation where a doctor was needed to be exited from the plane because they needed to put an employee on the plane to fly them from Chicago to like Lexington, Kentucky. Do you remember that story? Yeah. I, where they I dragged so. the guy off? Yeah. So here's the story he gave me. That is putting the customer first. That is a decision that was made by the leaders. It wasn't made by the CEO right? If it had gotten to the CEO, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have said, we need to figure something else out. He had the right. power to do anything he wanted. But because those employees did not feel safe, they didn't feel taken care of, they didn't feel like they would be protected. They followed the rule book. And there's a rule book. There's a guideline that says when this happens and, and this doesn't work and this doesn't work and this doesn't work, the this, only, is what you do. this is what you do. You forcibly remove them from the plane. And so they had the security remove that person from the plane. And you saw the videos, probably it went all over the place. I got back and think of, thought about it. And I said, you know, this is the example he gave me of why it's not customer first. And I said, I see it from a different perspective. If those employees that were sitting at the gate and anybody who was involved in that decision, if they felt safe enough to make a decision, they could have let that plane go and been against the rules. And they would have said, we'll figure out another way to get that employee. It was just one person. They could have chartered a plane. They could have done something else. But do you realize how much it costs them to have, to follow the rules, to not feel safe, to not feel taken care of? And I think, I really do believe that when you put your employees first, you empower them, you trust them to make these decisions and you back them up. I'm not saying the customer's always right. I'm not saying the employee's always right. But I'm saying in that situation, I would rather my employees go, I know what it says in the rule book, 
but we're not going to do that because that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's when it was written, they probably didn't have cell phones to be able to, because it was probably written a decade earlier or something where we didn't have cell phones that that could be easily pulled out and be sent to social media instantly. But that's what happened. It's true. That's true. So something that you mentioned, it doesn't, you know, it could be, you're not saying that it's the customer's fault. You're not saying it's the employee's fault. What I hear often is if you're a leader, it's your fault, right? You have to take the accountability. But what I found fascinating in our last conversation, you had mentioned that you, you think that accountability in and of itself, and I, I was looking through your different podcasts, that accountability by itself is too low a bar. And I think that would provoke a lot of people just to hear that. So if you don't mind, can you explain a bit more about what that means? Yeah, it's meant to provoke you, period. Because a a lot of people want a culture of accountability. OKRs happen to be about accountability, about clarity and transparency across the organization of, we know what your objectives are. We even know what your measurements are for your objectives. And you're willing to share that with others and your progress toward it. And that's really good. And then if you are accountable to someone, that means it's an external set of checks and balances that allow others to know that you're on track. I'm accountable to my clients. I've made a promise to service them in a certain way based on our agreements and I've got to be there. I'm accountable to it. And that's good, but is it setting the bar too low? I think it is because what I really believe you want is ownership. You want people to take an internal drive to deliver on those OKRs. Not because they said they would do it to their boss or they get a paycheck from it, because That's what they want to do. The way they're designed, they want to perform at that level. They want to learn the skills. They want to do the work. They want to break down the barriers. And sometimes the harder, the better, because if it was easy, no one's going to really recognize it. But the people who overcame the challenges get recognized. And so we love the journey sometimes, even when it's difficult. And so what you want is you want to have a culture of ownership. You want people to take an internal drive toward accomplishing their goals or OKRs, if you will, not just an external. So ownership sits above accountability in my world because if it comes from the fact that I'm an entrepreneur through my heart and soul. Even though I worked for corporate America for 10 years, it's because I was waiting for my idea and I was building my skill base. But when I finally did get a chance to build my business, it was my idea that I executed on, that I gathered a team, I coordinated actions around, I took chances, I owned it. I worked night and day sometimes to make it happen. And I owned it whether it worked or didn't. That was the internal drive behind it. I wasn't accountable to someone else. I own the fact that I did that. And I think that others can actually learn from that inside the role. You don't have to be the leader or the owner of the company, you can take ownership of your world. You can create your own reality. That's the power of ownership inside of our roles. And it goes beyond accountability. How do you think some of these bigger businesses, because I remember having a conversation once with one of the more senior members of a really big consultancy. And he said, Jenny, we've been doing our form of business for a very, very long time. And I really like this idea of ownership and I like this idea of transparency, but how do I get people to buy in to this idea of ownership? Because my organization is a type where people just are told what to do. They hit their targets, they get their bonuses and everything's good. And 
How do I get them to overcome this? And this is a challenge that I see over and over again, especially as bigger organizations are trying to overcome this organizational change. Like, How do you flip that mindset? So here's what we have to understand. When companies get bigger, they begin to systematize. It makes sense. I love the systems in my business. My podcast works like a system. It is, I know exactly what it is. People ask me all the time, how many hours do you spend a week podcasting? The answer is about two. Now, I used to spend probably 20, but I've been able to build the team and systematize it. And so we've been able to scale beyond that. And I focus on other things because of that. And that's good. Bigger companies systematize everything. Big accounting companies, like the example you said, they systematize it down to, I used to work for a big accounting company, so I know exactly what we're talking about here. And I was a project manager amongst all these people and it was systematized. I didn't know who, beyond two levels for me, I didn't know who was beyond two levels. I knew the partners. And so there's a bunch of partners. And so it gets harder because it, it gets harder because what they want at that level is they want people to just know the system and do the work. They don't value the thinking as much as they say they do. And they want you to just do the work, show up, get your money, do the work. They want you to, you know, to manage the situation, like manage the problems. They're not looking for leadership. That's just the way it is. They want you to, they call them managers. They don't call them leaders. And I know it's a title, but the role is we want you to make our systems a little bit more efficient and a little bit more effective, but don't really try to break anything. Now, we're in a phase right now where managers are probably feeling clueless because there's uncertainty in front of us. Mm -hmm. We need leaders now. How do you get these companies to break that mold? It's really hard because they've worked themselves into a place where they've put the customer ahead of the employee. And that's the reason why they have less engagement with companies that are bigger. That's the reason why we have a lower retention rate. And breaking the pattern means you have to empower the people. You have to include them into decisions that you have not asked them about. Smaller companies do this very easily. They're able to pivot very quickly. Just like the example I give about moving from a photo sharing business at weddings to gift boxes. They didn't do this at the top. They literally said, pour your ideas. They literally went from like 30 or 40 ideas that they talked about for two days. And then they sat it down with some pizzas and beer for another two days and said, what are the best three or four ideas? Wow. And they did it as a team. And, you know, it's really hard to do if you've got 40,000 employees. (laughs) But the reality behind this is What you really want to do if you want to make that transition is you have to understand that in order to get to a place of ownership, we've got to trust the people enough to empower them. We've got to include people into decisions that they've never been included into before because that gives them that sense of ownership. And we've got to develop them in a way, because it's another piece behind this, is the place where you get more skills. Jenny, I know we talked about your podcast. This is something you wanted to do. You're learning the skills of podcasting under the guise of the company. The companies, this is part of your OKRs and you are developing skills and you've taken ownership of this area. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. And you feel more empowered about it. They basically said, Jenny, go figure it out. Basically, yes. <laughs> I guess this right. You're, you're working at a smaller company. I've talked to your leadership there and get to know them. They've been on the podcast and it is a part of including them in, empowering them, giving them the skills. When you create the opportunity beyond just systems, for people to grow, for people to be included in ideas and people to truly be empowered to make decisions. And it's okay if they fail. It's okay if 
the podcast doesn't take off. We want it to. We want you to do it the best you can. But we, as long as you can pick up the pieces and figure out your way, it's okay. That's what smaller companies do that have the sense of ownership that, that runs through them. So then you mentioned, you know, kind of the distinction between managers and leaders. And I kind of want to really kind of nail this point home because I think that's an important one. There is a distinction and you're, you're talking about this. Can you be really, I guess, almost like blatantly straightforward about the distinction in your mind? And then just so that the listeners, our listeners can understand, all right, if big businesses or even small businesses are trying to foster this mindset shift and give this ownership, this is what we really mean when we say you need to be developing leaders in your organization if you want to adapt and hopefully survive and thrive beyond what we're seeing currently. Because I think at the end of these things, the winners are going to be defined because they still exist, right? Because they had adapted. They made those decisions with their teams and they fostered that leadership across their orgs. Yep. I wrote an article for Inc. Magazine, and it's one of the early articles I wrote. It's about two years ago, and it's one of the top articles. And it really is to the, the whole idea of managers are a dying breed. You need these instead. So it's kind of a little bit clickbaity, but you need yeah. leaders. Yeah. And, the, and inside that article, and again, I wrote this two years ago, but I talk about it a lot. Managers thrive on stability, control. Their job is to take something from one level and itch it up a little bit, a little bit higher level of efficiency, a little bit higher throughput. All of the things that managers do is remodeling of the current systems to make them smoother. I went to school as an industrial engineer. Industrial engineer is all about the sequencing of things, making them better. Now, I see leaders do a completely something different. They don't thrive in stability. They actually thrive in adaptation. They thrive in opportunity. They thrive in the ability to do something that's never been done. Managers are very uncomfortable in a place where this has never been done. Go figure it out. Leaders go, okay, this gives me a chance to really figure out something cool and unique. And they're able to pull from other areas and do something that's never been done. Now, we're in this COVID experience. You have to ask yourself, do you need to be a manager right now or do you need to be a leader? I think the answer is, and I know the answer is, your team deserves a leader. We've never been through this ever in our generations. We, it's a completely new world now because of technology and, and because of what's available to us. We actually have the ability to move faster and we will. People will or people won't. Businesses will, they won't. But we need leaders that can see a vision out in the future. They can not know the steps to get there, but they can communicate with the team and have them rally together to make progress toward that. Managers feel very uncomfortable. They feel very unsure of themselves. They get to be indecisive. And so that makes it harder in this age because our people need decisiveness. They need to follow someone that is clear about it. You may not know exactly what it is, but if you can see a vision clear enough, and this is what a big part of leadership is, is that direction of the company. They can see it and they can communicate in a way that everyone's willing to rally behind them, even if they're not sure themselves. Right. We've been talking about investing in ourselves, building up leaders, having them learn new things. But I imagine there are also leaders that you're talking to who are struggling with individuals who have a lot of anxiety. And beyond that, there are a lot of perhaps difficulties in focusing at home because they've got kids, right? What are you coaching people on 
where these kind of challenges are presenting themselves, right? Because we talk about outcomes all the time with OKRs and being focused on delivery and making sure that you're constantly pushing the needle forward. We're kind of in a weird time where it's difficult and we've got to lead through this. What are you coaching and telling people to do? There's two main areas behind this. The first one's very simple and the second one's a little bit harder to grasp. But the first one is having a routine. I've talked to a lot of leaders in the last three weeks and I go, what is, what's really missing for you? And they'll tell me that they miss working out. That's the one thing I miss. I'm not working out in my regular rhythms. And so I'm missing something there. They will say that they're sleeping in longer. Mm-hmm. I've actually felt myself sleeping in. I used to get up at six like right away. There's a missing routine that probably used to work and they've kind of forgotten about it because everything that's going on at home, maybe they've got kids in the house now or maybe they don't have to get them out so they're sleeping in. So all that routine piece is causing a ripple effect across the business because if you don't get the day started right, it ends up, you're playing catch up all day long. Maybe it's energy, you're playing catch up with energy wise, but you want to make sure The solution behind that is to really figure out the routine that works for you and to make sure that you honor that, whatever it is. If it's getting up, doing your workout, maybe you can't go to the gym, maybe we're doing it at home, but figure out a way. There's plenty of videos out there. There's plenty of good workouts you can do. The same thing you would do in a hotel room. You don't need weights. You don't need anything. You can still push your body. My arms are sore from the workout we did just two days ago. So getting back to your routine. The second thing behind it is I call these meta conversations and these are going to be very hard for some people, but you mentioned the word anxiety. How often are companies having a conversation about what is anxiety? Mm. They're not. They're not because they talk about the strategy. They talk about the marketing. They talk about the sales. They talk about the customers. They talk about the project. They talk about the deadlines, the cash flows. But if people are having issues with something like anxiety, that's just an example Why not take a beat and say, we've got a meeting today not to talk about your workload or anything like that. We're going to talk about anxiety. Maybe that was too out there because it opens up a lot of things. Maybe we talk about sleep. (laughs) Should be easy to talk about sleep, right? What is working for you guys to sleep today? You know what? I do this. I do this routine. And the conversation of having 10 or 12 people in a video talk about sleep is a meta conversation. It is a chance to talk about what's working for you, what's missing, and for you to maybe get real about yourself and say, you know what? I'm just staying up too late watching Netflix. I want to check out. I feel the pressure of it. That's what I'm doing. And then you may hear that someone else likes to take a walk. Well, why not take a walk instead of watching four hours of Netflix? So having a meta conversation about whatever the issue is, is often avoided because it doesn't seem like work. Right. But if you do it well, if you lead someone to this, not only can people, can you understand them, they can feel heard. Another example behind this, and this should be easy to talk about, anybody who's homeschooling, get on here and talk about what homeschooling is now because we're all going through it. We've gotten some rules. We've learned some things. Some things are not working. It's spring break in our homeschool. I don't really like that because I'm like, what do you mean spring break? I don't get spring break. (laughs) (laughs) But You know, my son who's 13 said, I need the space, dad. I need to rest. I'm like, yeah, you need to rest. But have a conversation about whatever the issue is. Take the time and listen to each other. Leaders can come in as equals. They don't have to know all the answers. And that's that level of vulnerability is very powerful to bind people together. What would you say for 
because you mentioned that leaders should display some amount of vulnerability. I've worked for leaders, if you will, in organizations where that's something they've never done. (laughs) They've never been vulnerable. They may have seemed to always have that answer because it's almost as if, if, especially if you're a line worker, if you will, and you have upper tier management, you look up, you're like, of course that person should know what to do, even though this has never happened ever in the history of the world. Of course they should know. How could they not? How could I trust my leader if they don't know? And then now they're being vulnerable with me. It's going to be awkward. How can they, how would you coach or advise some of leadership through that challenge. Like it's, it's like flipping a personality script a little bit, you know, it's like, I'm this person. All of a sudden I'm like, Hey, how's homeschooling going? You know, without it being awkward. Yeah. The big question here is what style do you take when you're trying to connect with someone? Right. And so if you had a leader who was, you felt like was just putting on the armor, right? Right. And I think Brene Brown talks about this really well Mm. about, know, having to wear the armor. They believe that being vulnerable is being weak. And if you had a conversation, if you're leading up, if you're saying, you know what, I'm going to make up a name. We'll say Jack. If Jack was your manager, direct manager and say, you know, Jack, I've noticed that you've really had some issues lately. I'd love to talk about that with you. Like, I, I don't know what I can do with you, but I'd love to let you know that I'm here. And they may know, well, what's going on? It's like, well, you know, you seem like you're not sleeping. You seem like maybe, maybe you, you're just tired. And it's a real hard conversation for you to open that up. But if you give them a space to be vulnerable, if you, give the, if you ask questions, if they don't take it, it's not your fault, but you can actually create space for people to be vulnerable. And, and maybe it is in an area outside their domain. I heard someone describe this the other day that really made sense to me. When we begin to work in a company and we get really good at what we're doing, we're called a high performer or talented. And so we make that person the manager of the team. And so that person's in their domain of expertise becomes the manager of, let's say, sales. Well, if they do a really good job with that, they're able to become the next level. So they become a director. And the director may actually have sales and marketing together with all of a sudden their domain of expertise is not 100% part of their job. They know about it, but it's not what they've spent the last 10 or 12 years perfecting. And so all of a sudden, they either make that transition or not. But every step that you make in this journey, you have to realize your domain of expertise is not completely aligned to your level of leadership. Mm. And that you don't have to know the answer to everything. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, we started out this conversation, Tenny, with what patterns do you see? I remember one interview I had, they said, you know, it was really relieving to me when I realized that I had hired the right team. I could go into the rooms and the conference rooms and I didn't have to be the smartest person there. In fact, if I was, there's a problem. Mm. That level of vulnerability was really a breath of fresh air. And I think you should really consider that. If you're the kind of leader that thinks they have to know the answer, they have to be able to tell everyone what to do, you're missing an opportunity because that doesn't breed trust. Great leaders are willing to hold their tongue, let the room share their ideas, and then be able to talk about those ideas with their questions, and then be able to rally to make, how are we going to make this decision? How are we going to select? If the team selects the answer that you believe is the right answer, all the better because they've just, you've just created ownership. 
You've given them a voice. You've given them a chance to share their ideas and they have stepped up and chosen what you want. Now, if you don't want, if they choose what you don't want, you don't think will work, whatever that step is, then your job is not to tell them how they're wrong. Your job is to, <laughs> is to step back and say, I may see this a different way. Why do I see it this way? Mm. Or you may say something to the effect of, huh, I haven't thought about it that way. How would this work under these circumstances? And they'll go and make it work because if you, you're smart enough to know the answer, but you can actually have a conversation that allows them to figure out what the answer is, that level of vulnerability, that level of confidence in your team will last for ages because they will say, we did this together. We've always heard that the whole adage that leaders are willing to give the glory to the team, but they also are willing to take responsibility for the failure. And I believe this is strong leadership because let the team rise up. Let them have the glory. But if something's not working, then you have the strength and confidence to say, it was my decision to move this forward. I take responsibility. This comes from me. And this is a very hard thing that I talk about. We don't have to go into the details here. But one reason why I wrote this book, The Trap of Success, that I showed earlier is because I ran a business for nine years. The first three years, I got it to $5 million, And then I got complacent. And I spent the next six years basically trying to make a little bit more money. I was managing the work instead of leading it. And I was optimizing for me to have more free time and make a little bit more money. And I was missing opportunities. And 10 years ago, I ended up losing $3 million on a deal. I trusted this one source way too much, one business partner. And it really cost me everything. I lost $3 million. And I share this with you because I had to tell my wife that I made this mistake. Here's the hard part. She told me not to do the deal. Oof. So 10 years ago, this happened. Just last month, I had a conversation with someone and it came up and my wife was there and I could have easily said, yeah, we made the wrong decision. And I said, you know, let me be clear. I think they said back, you guys together made this decision. I said, well, let me be clear. I made that decision. I trusted my best friend. I lost the $3 million. My wife told me not to do it. It was really hard, but we got through it. And then after that, my wife came back to me and said, you know, we haven't talked about this in years. She goes, but you owned up to it. She goes, you live by what you talk about. And it's really hard to say you made that big a mistake. But I truly believe that leaders are vulnerable enough to say when they made the mistake. They're vulnerable enough to share where things aren't working out and make a decision. Now, don't mistake this vulnerability to you're airing all your dirty laundry. There's a time and place for some of these things to happen. You know, you, you may not talk about things that aren't professional or you, there may be certain elements that you not necessarily hold back, but you, you have to work through them before you can own them mm. with others. You, work, you own it yourself first. You have to work through those issues. Like I had to work through my issues with that decision for over a year. I had to find forgiveness for myself until I did that. Does that make sense and put it in context? I think it does. I think what you're trying to say is that leaders have to be able to have the discernment of what they own and what they don't. And sharing, let's say, the successes of business is something that the team, like you mentioned, that's everyone's thing. But as the leader, at the end of the day, you are the one that's held on account if something goes off the rails, right? You want to share that glory with your team, like you mentioned. That totally makes sense. And it does take a lot of wisdom. I would say it sounds like maturity as well because you have to reflect. This has been a really great conversation. I think we have so much 
to be grateful for in this period and that we get to connect as real people because we're seeing each other's families probably on Zoom calls right now. And we have opportunities to help navigate difficult waters with our teams and transform ourselves from managers to leaders because none of us on this planet have ever faced this before. And so it's a time to thrive. Thank you so much for being on today's show. I know I learned a lot. And you said before we even started recording, Jenny, this is going to be a fun conversation. So thank you so much for this really great and fun conversation, Jean. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.